Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show, episode number 125. We have two perfect sponsors for you. Environments for Humans promoting their Front End Summit. Go to frontendsummit.com. That's coming up August 21st. It's an online summit. We'll tell you about that later in the show. And Adobe, thanks for sponsoring. Again, they have all kinds of awesome new web tools out like Adobe Edge Animate and Project Parfait. Check that one out at projectparfait.adobe.com. It has a bunch of new features in it that have just been released even since last time we talked about it. So we'll tell you more about that later in the show. But for now, let's kick things off. Shepamaniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shep Talk Show, a podcast all about friend-endy web design and development. I'm Dave Rupert. With me is Chris Coyer. Hello. Hello. Big nuts. <laughs> What's going on, Chris? Oh, nothing, nothing. This is a this is a classic, you know, special ish episode. You know, not as special as our as our two thousand four episode that that we dug up. People really seem to like that. So maybe next time we can find one. You know, from two thousand seven or something. Oh, that was a good year. I remember that. That was so great. We could do that. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is a uh, very exciting episode. You kind of probably already know the drill because you already saw the title of the episode when you went to the post or your podcatcher. But this is another rapid fire episode right now i am laying on the beach getting a tan smothered in cocoa butter <laughs> yeah your so, cells are getting rapid fired by the sun yep so uh i'm getting tan uh and yep it's pretty great down here in no guess no no drama no nothing oh yeah that's right that's why you're going down there yeah yep family trip Married in to vacations. I highly recommend that. <laughs> so no, no guests, no drama, no no intro, I guess. Mm-hmm. Other things that we skip in the beginning of shows and we just jump right into questions. Try to do as many of them as we can. And you guys have been doing a good job sending them in. This is our bring back the nerd tour on Shop Talk, trying to get as deep into front end nerdy stuff as we possibly can again. Yeah, ah, this is good. And you guys have been fulfilling your promise on sending in nerdy questions. Uh, you have not been fulfilling your promise on sending in audio questions, which is okay. But we may just start giving you guys like impressionist voices if you don't send in your real voice. So fair warning. You've been warned. First question. Sheila Brennan writes in. Do you have, I'm just kidding, do you have any rule of thumb for deciding when to use the new picture element using the picture fill polyfill uh, versus using a CSS background image with media queries for responsive images? Uh, is it more a question of semantics? I've heard picture fill can be slow with multiple images in a page. Hmm. 
It is semantics, Sheila. It is it is that the picture element is HTML. It is a replacement for the IMG element in HTML. You know, it's mm-hmm. like this is a content image. This is image that belongs in a blog post or a landing page or something like that, in which that it's like part of an article or something. It's different than a CSS background image. If 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 an image is just decorative. And it just belongs on the page just because it's, you know, it's like, you know, Obama doing a gun shooter in the background of a donation page and it just blends presidential ambiance to the page. That's just CSS background images. And yes, you can absolutely use media queries to swap those out. And that's a perfectly way, good way to achieve what you might think of as responsive images. But why? Because we've shed on the show before responsive images like the, the thing like with like square brackets around it or whatever means is often referring to responsive images in the HTML content images. And that's what picture um, is for helping with. So yep. you can't really quite exchange them. You know, you can't be like, well, here's an image in a blog post. I'll just make it a div and just handle the whole situation with CSS in the background. Cause it is semantically incorrect to do that. Imagine if that goes out to uh uh, a feed reader or something like that, or you have an API for your content, that's not going to work because the CSS doesn't come along with it. So, you know, just you need a, a, a system for handling responsive images in the content, and that's what picture is. Mm-hmm. Regards to it being slow, have you heard that before? I guess I've, I've never really heard that before. Uh, but I, I don't think it's slow. I, I think the thing is it may happen later, like, like, Images aren't prefetched because it has to do negotiation before it prefetches. But the good news is, uh, Sheila, that uh, picture element, the like native picture element, which is going to be as fast as it can be, basically, is in Chrome Can- Canary and Firefox Nightly. So um, I think we're looking at it possibly shipping this year. So in two major browsers. So and I think IE has said on their little their new little thing that actually tells you what they're thinking, which is a rare tool for IE, uh, is like they're considering the picture element. And then um, WebKit has also said if you get it into Chrome, we'll consider it into uh, Safari, basically. So. That's Good. interesting. So is that is that their words that they're considering it, or is it or is there a different word for it? Uh, uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, I.e. Uh, feature chart. Let's see. I'll I'll find it. You keep going. My my idea. My question was that like so. It's a standard now, right? It's mm-hmm. like done the spec, and it's a thing, and it's part of the specs, like everything else is spec. Do they get their? I mean, I guess of course they have the right. They're an independent entity of a business, but but can they choose to just not support? Can they just be like, no, we don't like it, even though it's in the spec? Right. Of course they can do that, but that's like a little starting to get into unprecedented territory. Like for a long time, it was like a race to to support more of the spec. You know, that was like the marketing message was. We're the most standards compliant of any browser out there, and it would be weird to stake a, take a stand now and have a brand new spec come out mm-hmm. and be like, "Nah, we're considering it, but we're I, so not that into it." I think the thing, like, I think uh, IE, like historically, has just been mums the word on anything, you know, like classic, like enterprise company kind of thing. Like, 
we can't tell you any secrets. This is the browser wars. If we tell you anything, you're you're gonna steal our monies or whatever. Uh, but now, like they have status.modern.ie. That's that like modern IE domain where you can get the, all the VMs and stuff. Um, they are they have under consideration, and so picture element is under consideration. Um, and and so I don't think it's a matter of like what they like. They're not if it's a standard, they're not going to be like nope, not doing it. I think they're it's more like what do they have bandwidth to do by the next release of IE basically and as we all know IE releases tend to stick around forever so um you're kind of like looking at <laughs> this might be we might not have picture in IE for you know 10 15 years or something possibly but uh they've actually done a really good job of getting rid of IE9 and 10 actually or IE9 and then IE10 will be auto upgraded to 11 so anyway the hope is it gets into IE 11 and it works really quickly. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, that would be nice. It's just that I just I just got tripped up by under consideration. You know, like I don't know under consideration for what release it's going to go in, not under consideration whether we're going to do it at all. Maybe I mean it's un, it's a little unclear. Yeah, they've always like like I this is not like. I've worked with that company before, so uh, I I was like, I'm going to bother them. I'm going to find out who's in charge. So uh, I was on some email threads and stuff like that, and they just they, they like literally were like, we cannot like legally say what our viewpoint is on this feature or whatever, and so that's why they don't say anything in the W3C stuff and all that. So. Um, and I say legally, probably like corporate structurally, you know, like if I worked for IE and I was like, yeah, dude, we're going to implement the um, what's like a bad idea from the past. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, shoot. I'm trying to. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we're going to put frames back into HTML5 or whatever. Uh, and and they actually didn't do that or they promised but didn't promise or they rolled something back or yeah it seems like the upside is pretty low too you know like uh, like i don't know all that all that gets hap- who claps their hands or booze is just is just a very tiny segment of the population of people that actually use that browser you know? i'm mm-hmm. sure that's it yep um so I get to answer Sheila's question. I think every I think don't worry about using the the polyfill, the like picture element polyfill because it looks like it's happening. So and yeah, the best example I have for your like content versus decoration images is uh, if you go to Buzzfeed without images dot dot com, it's great. So it's kind of like uh, basically can if you like read a BuzzFeed article um, without images. It, it Oh, it's not there anymore. Sorry. All right, I'll find it. But it's basically like, can you believe? No way. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Oh, BuzzFeed minus GIFs. There it is. That's it. BuzzFeed minus GIFs.tumblr.com. And I'll read you one. 21 oddly satisfying GIFs you won't be able to stop watching. Yeah. Cut that dough. Slice that paper, you sharp little knife, you. Fit that joint. 
fit it r r r r make it bowl <laughs> make it all night long yeah candle burn smash bullet so anyway content images that's what those are they're they're necessary to the context of the article <sighs> All right. Great example. Really nailed it here. Nick Herr writes in, I've seen a few pens lately, just front-end demos, he's saying, that lately that include translate Z0 in them somewhere, and I'm very curious as to why they would need this. What is what is translate Z traditionally used for, and how can I how can it help me with my front-end style markup? Thanks for your help. Um, translate Z is a is is a is a value to the transform property in CSS, I would say that the chances are that if you've been seeing it over and over and over again, and it literally just has transform translate Z0 in it, and you don't see that anywhere else in the document, that what it's being used for is to just trigger... Um, what do they call that? The you know putting the putting the rendering layer or whatever um, the GPU onto the GPU yeah. yeah meaning it just kind of speeds it up and the animation will be a little smoother. It's, chances are that's being applied to an element that has an animation or a transition on it through CSS, and having that on there kind of moves it from the CPU to the GPU, and it's just a little smoother. It's like a it's like a cheap trick to get that to work. Uh, and it usually does work is the is the is the idea I think it depends on browser and stuff a little bit and version but 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 it's it's fairly safe to do in browsers that don't support it anyway it's just saying like I want to apply a three d transform to this, but the zero is just like but also not really <laughs> don't mm-hmm. actually do anything it, it 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 affects the visual look of the element none at all it doesn't do anything but just it its presence there puts it on the the GPU. And so that's, you know, it's being talked about recently. There's a new property that is essentially going to replace it and it says will change. And then you say, I forget what the valid values of will change are, but I think it's like you tell it how it's going to change, either what properties are going to change or if it's animating or transitioning or whatever. Uh, I think it might be like will change opacity. Yeah. You're, you're telling the browser that I intend to change this element's opacity. And that feels a little weird because. And this has been coming up more and more lately. But like, isn't this thing a computer? Can it tell that I intend to change its opacity? Because somewhere else in this document, I'm telling it to change its opacity, and that's true. But it, you know, speed-wise, and this is you know the the reason this property exists is largely for speed and performance reasons. Your computer could figure that out, but it's it's harder and it's fat. It, it can just happen a lot faster and more efficiently if you can just give it a heads up that that's going to happen. So it's kind of like a compromise in between, you know, the browser trying to help you and you trying to help the browser. And it's just the tool might as well be there, you know, kind of in the interim to to help with that kind of thing. So will change is going to be basically a replacement for translate Z, mm-hmm. uh, but. I don't know what the, what the best advice is right now. Use them both or kind of build tool them out. I, I don't know. I guess I would. I, I have not started using will change yet. I, I'm not sure if that there's any browser support in it. And I guess traditionally for me, I've waited till there's at least one browser implementation before I start dropping it in code. I don't know. You've yeah. heard about it. Haven't no, you? yeah. I, it's, I like know about it, but I don't see what is, I, I, like, I, I suppose it's more semantic than Translate Z, you know, zero, but it, it's also like, 
now I, I, I have to undry my code. I have to be like very specific about, you know, what properties I'm translating or transitioning or whatever. Um, it seems, yeah, sort of redundant or whatever. So, um, I mean, yeah, no, I don't but, think anybody's like mega stoked about it because it is just like a new thing to throw on our plate, you know. Mm-hmm. But new, I don't know. Yeah, a new. It's thing not a hack, like, though. It's not a hack anymore. It's a thing. It's a. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. There's talk of like Chrome, like you know, they dropped position sticky recently. You know, uh, they're talking about redoing their whole compositing engine and how they kind of render out a page or whatever. I wonder, you know, if like gains there kind of fix everything downstream. You know, I wonder if like then you could quickly, more quickly determine, you know, what what properties are going to translate or transition or whatever. But I'm sure that that you never know, but you'd assume that those the people that work on those different things have talked, you know. And that so question, like have you run into like super jank uh, using with like forgetting to put translate Z or something on a, on a animation. Have you noticed anything like that? Or is this sort of just for like high end yeah, animations and have. stuff? Okay. You have. Yeah. I would say like an example is, and I don't know, I'm sure I'll end up being wrong about this, but like imagine one of those like fancy, um, like a modal box that instead of just like appearing instantaneously appears to kind of, be above the browser and then kind of shrinks. It uses like a transform, you know, like 1.5 to 1 like and then like and opacity at the same time. Kind of so there's like right, but like, example. but exactly. But you know, like a, like a modal that falls in from the top or comes up from the bottom. We actually, I actually use that on CodePen in a number of places. Like for example, when you bring up your assets window inside the browser, it kind of like, I wanted to make the animation kind of like extra emphatic. So you realize that what you're looking at now is totally different than what you were looking at before. Cause it covers your, um, the demo that you're building. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, if you're open up a pen and then click the, details and comments button it replaces the demo that you're looking at with like information about that pen and i thought if it just appeared there's some chance that you like looked away for a second and are like confused about what you're looking at so the animation is a little extra emphatic it does that fall from the top thing and that fall from the top thing it it is just changing transit you know they're fairly cheap things to animate you know have you seen that like paul irish list that are like these are the things that are inexpensive for the browser to animate including transform stuff and opacity and those are the only two things that are changing but still it's like covering enough of the screen and it's like doing enough work that i feel like without a little translate z help it would be like you know, right. like it wouldn't come in as smoothly, but then you all of a sudden you throw Translate Z on it, and it's just smooth as butter. Mm-hmm. That's the okay. kind of thing. That's all right, all right, well, okay. Because I, I mean, most of like mine is like button colors, you know, <laughs> hovering buttons. Yeah, and, yeah, and you probably you, know. you literally won't notice it. I think it's like pretty much ninety percent of Code Drops demos need it like all over the place. Right. All right. Well, that makes sense. All right. I, maybe I need to get into more whatever interactive web design. <laughs> Have you heard of material design day because get on it. Uh it's like paper that lives on ink and digital pixels. <laughs> no. I actually really like the new material design stuff. So 
they've done some crazy stuff, but then, yeah, I don't know. Then people are like, but it doesn't work in Firefox. And then it's like, oh, it's beta. And then it's like, oh, well, I'm sure they'll fix it. But they do, they, they do some cool stuff with, uh, uh, their, uh, what was it? It was their like, um, web components thing that we probably just talked about, you know? So, uh, it's anyway, we'll get to it later. Or earlier, or whatever. All right, next question. Let's do a sponsor real quick. We have Adobe sponsoring us, and and they sent us. You know, I don't know. We've been talking with them about what to promote, and it's like pretty much all their web stuff is is a, like of great interest. I think too. I just feel like we all already know that Adobe makes Photoshop and Illustrator and stuff, and we don't need to like remind you of that fact. I like pretty much always have those projects, <laughs> those programs open at all time. I think they're more interested in talking about some of the new stuff they do. That's that's specifically web focused like uh, this new thing that I guess I, is it still in beta? I guess it doesn't really matter because you can use it. Projectparfait.adobe.com. If you have a Photoshop file, and I know uh, I've been just talking with more and more people that, that that work like this, and I still do, is you kind of like start with a PSD and then kind of move it over to code um, as fast as you can and kind of go back and forth between those worlds quite a bit kind of an interesting little prospect I think we're going to be hearing more and more about but like let's say you're the person who is gets the PSD and and it's your job to kind of translate it into web code I'm sure there's lots of you that listen to shop talk show because you're just a front end developer and that's what you do all day this tool is made to help with that and a lot of times you're like I don't I don't need help with that that's what I'm best at in the whole world you know I would might even say that cuz I feel like I'm particularly good at translating photoshop files into designs but this really can help you in that all you do is just open the psd in the in the browser in this projectparfait.adobe.com and then you can just click around on it and it just gives you information that you might need at any given second like what's the font stack for this thing and if it's using a custom font it'll go out and try to figure out what the font the web font stack would be like including if it's if it's available on typekit it will like figure out what font needs to be in the kit to for it to look just like it looks in photoshop here and give you the font stack for that and stuff and if you click on something that's a gradient well that designer used the photoshop gradient layer style tool stuff in photoshop but it will translate it to the CSS style gradient that you want. So you can just copy and paste that gradient that was defined in Photoshop and just drop it in the file quick. So even if you did the gradient yourself, that's super useful. You can click on little layer styles and export um, you know, any little thing that's its individual layer. You can just grab it, export that as an individual graphic asset, including if it's a if it's a shape layer, it can be SVG when you export it, which is pretty rad. It's like there literally is a lot of good tools in here that uh uh, that is legitimately useful for for that PSD to CSS kind of workflow, which is pretty cool. You know, and there's tools that you're used to in there, like the eyedropper and your layer comps work in case it's one PSD file, but there's multiple layer comps in there to, for different states and stuff. That works in here now too. So pretty cool. That's they have all cool. kinds of tools though, Adobe Edge Animate and stuff. We'll talk about more of that stuff as it. As, as it comes up, there's geeks. I like how Edge Animate now you can copy and paste SVG from Illustrator right into it. So you can kind of be like, I'm going to, here's the artwork for this thing. I'm going to paste it in there and then select the parts and, and animate it timeline style. It's pretty rad. Yeah. <gasps> Let's do another question. I was going to say, you know how we always get the like, uh, it is like Squarespace killing, uh, 
you know, web design or web development or whatever, you know, uh, we always get that question. It's like, now it's like, is Adobe Parfait like killing HTML, PSD to HTML <laughs> businesses across the world? So there's like that XKCDs, like, is, is blank new thing going to affect blank? And they have like a chart for it that's like, no, no. No. <laughs> nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nope. Uh, no, this is cool. And you can just like copy the CSS right there. Like, boom. Yikes. This is cool. I like it. All right. Cool. Next question comes from Christian Lawrence. I love inline block. It's great and allows for easy, simple vertical alignment. However, it always adds to that that little bit of extra space that making items wrap example, a list of four with each LI uh, set at 25%. If there's a better cleaner way than commenting out the white space, why does it even happen? I, uh, I have read this CSS tricks article on inline block elements, but none of the solutions seem particularly clean. Chris, how do you fight inline block on your, your, yeah, it sounds like Christian found the article that I posted about this, which it lists like four or five ways, I think, to, mm-hmm. to handle it. But, uh, you know, to, to set the stage a little bit more, he's right. If you have an unordered list with four LIs in it, you set all the LIs to display inline block, and then you set the width of each of those to 25%, they're not going to fit on one line because it's going to be 25% four times, it's 100%, and then the little space character in between each one of them, which is going to push it over 100%, and then they're going to wrap. Mm-hmm. So that's the situation that we're in. I'm sure you've come across this, Dave. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is like this is the thing I don't like about inline block, and it blows it for me every time. <laughs> I'm just like, nope, can't use it there, like for a grid system or something like that. And I know you, right. you have like a grid system with inline block that's pretty cool, but like... Or not a system, but like a way of doing it. I don't actually. I never oh. do. I I think it's nice. Like there's a lot of people that just swear by it, right? That they're like, this is so much better than float because a I get vertical align and b I don't have to clear anything. Right. Right. But then I'm like, c you have to deal with the white space thing, which is like sucks. It's a it's it's just an equal field for me. Like mm-hmm. I just don't care one way or the other which one you use because they both have like a pretty significant downer side to them. And in fact, I don't really mind clearing floats, so I tend to go with floats. Yeah. Uh, but that's not, I mean, that's not, there's still reasons to use inline block and stuff. I didn't yeah. mean to just be like, you know, to, I mean, to just... Times I use it is like when I know it kind of doesn't matter or I'm like setting a margin anyway, like a navigation or something like that, you know. Uh, but when when the navigation has to be exactly 25%, you know, uh, that sort of is rough. I mean, wh- one thing you can do is, 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 like, set the inline block and, like, you know, fudge the numbers a bit uh, with, like, you know, maybe it's not 25%, maybe it's 24% or something like that, and then hit it with a flex box, and flex box will, like, fix it perfectly. <laughs> It'll override the inline block. Uh, so that's an option if you're interested in doing that. Um, oh, sure. That's not a bad way. Or like, let, okay, so if it's just four things in a row that you need to be 25% each, mm-hmm. yes, Flexbox can handle that. 
even easier and more well supported would just be to make that UL just be say um, table layout fixed, mm-hmm. and then say that the LIs are table. What do they call that? Ooh, we <laughs> my mom. <laughs> so up. there's definitely a cuckoo <laughs> clock here. Uh, uh, and of course it's 10 o'clock so there's a lot of them uh, and then display table cell so that each one of the LIs becomes a table cell and table dis- table layout fixed property will make sure that they're all equal spaced so that's another way to do it mm-hmm. I feel like we're, we're drifting away from the point of no, the, yeah. the little space in there though and the, the little space in there is there's there's ways to handle it you can comment out the white space as Christian mentioned which means like literally put like an opening like at the closing li tag of the first one put an opening html comment and then before the opening next li close that comment so there's pretty much no white space in between them Uh, or you can literally remove the white space so make sure there's no space between the closing li tag and the next opening li tag that way there's no space character to render um, the, the one I tend to use the most is just set the font size of the UL to zero. That way the, the spaces will render at zero width. And then you just need to make sure that you set the font size back up on the LI. And that can be a pain in the butt too. I don't particularly like it, but I feel like then it's not HTML white space dependent. And I hate that. You know, I don't like technology dictating how I format my HTML. You know, it's like obnoxious to me. So I tend to go with that one. I would definitely shy away from anything that recommends like using a negative margin or something to compensate for that space because that's just destined to break. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I use the negative margin a lot, but yeah, it it probably breaks a lot. So well, so it's dependent on literally the font. Like a font can define how big that a space is. Oh, neat. You know, so it just so happens to be generally about the same and, and fixable. Yeah. But like, if you really need it to butt up against both sides really nicely, I would shy away from it. Anyway, it's just it's just one of those things. And the why is kind of interesting. I think I feel like I used to have a really good answer for this, but it's just kind of like how HTML works a little bit. Like there needs to be spaces in between. Imagine you know, like you have a. a Oh, God, I don't have a good analogy. There needs to be spaces between. Your grandma makes a website, and she's like, I'm going to, you know, uh, just make a list, but I want it to be horizontal, you know. And she doesn't know CSS. It has to display with some default styling or something, you know. But it's weird that it does whatever 0.25M or whatever the credit is. So yeah. spaces just need to be spaces I, like that's just it's like a fundamental part of HTML and that that room there's there's a, I think they're aware that this is a weird thing that people work around and I think there's going to be some future CSS property that handles it that's like inline inline block without spaces or something you know I forget how they plan to handle it. I'm sure it hasn't been totally settled yet, but right. but it, there likely will be a solution to this in the future. Unless unless they're just saying, I don't know, forget it, use Flexbox, because that will solve it anyway. Possibly. Possibly. All right. Hey, hopefully that answers your question. Oh, another thing I was going to say, as I'm looking at maybe just making sure like my like development server is using minified HTML. I mean, that would, in theory, solve your problem, you know. Uh, that scares me. But I, yeah. I mean, I, if you were like hundred percent consistent about it, I guess so. But yeah. that's relying on a weird part of the stack to solve a, display a front problem. end problem. Yeah. All right. Okay. Here we go. 
Parker Bennett writes in, I'm trying to move to uh, stackicons.com from icon font to SVG based, but I feel like I'm giving up flexibility in terms of easy styling. I want the icons to be external rather than inline SVG, but I want to style them too. Uh, so question, can you reference an external style sheet in the SVG file itself and use that as a single place to change styling across all icons? I saw somebody ask this on Twitter earlier too, that they were like, they want to use SVG in CSS as a background image in CSS and, then and then- also want to affect the, the, the little anything about it with CSS. Right. And the answer is basically no, you can't do that. Yeah, the second you like use make it a data URI or whatever, which is kind of a common like SVG icon sprite trick, like you basically rastered that image. It's locked in time. It's you know, it's a bunch of whatever, whatever. Right, and that's the case if you use it as an IMG tag or background CSS. It's mm-hmm. just the way it is. That's just how that's the, gonna there's go. There's no shadow dom. Or anything to like go right, go right, get right, the right. Stuff. So. so the question is, why not inline SVG? Because inline SVG can still be used from an external source. Remember, so you can you you can say SVG and then a use tag, and the use tag can reference an external file and where these things are defined. So I really think that could be a good way for you, Parker. But maybe you have a reason not to do that. I don't know. You know, whatever. The world's a complicated place. So just so we're clear, like you can just say like use this external SVG and then I can start styling into that SVG, but it's an extra request per icon, right? Is that right? Uh, Yeah, it's still cached though, you know, because as soon as you request it once, it can use different parts of it over and over and over. It's like a sprite, you Mm -hmm. know, in that way. Now there are some limitations into doing that way. You can target like the it, it, via a class name, like the SVG element with the use inside of it. You could give like the SVG or the use element a class name, and then say like fill red, and it will fill all the paths and shapes and stuff within it to be red. You don't have access to the individual class names on the individual recs and circles and paths and whatnot because that passes that shadow dab, shadow dab boundary and you just you just can't do that for whatever reason. They could all be styled the same because you can target it by class, but you can't target it like the SVG has a class name on it and then the path has a class name on it and you write one selector that uses both of those two things. And like let's say you had, you know, like we've used the ice cream cone analogy before. There was an ice cream cone and it used the same external stuff inside it used the same group of paths. Mm-hmm. You can't really style those two things differently in that way through external CSS because there's just no way to make that selector work. I know that's a bit complicated to explain over the radio, but I could I feel like I could point you to a blog post that explains it. Anyway, you can see I would go with the I would go with Parker, you know, using inline SVG. It seems like a pretty solid way to do it. I don't know. It works, yeah. and and there's a limitation in IE, but there's a. I wrote a post about this SVG. Use SVG with an external source everywhere. Jonathan Neal wrote a pretty cool little script that, if it's not supported, all it does is make a little AJAX request, which is still cached because it only has to do it once, and go get the 
guts of it, the actual paths and wrecks and circs and stuff, and, mm-hmm. and just drops them right in there as inline SVG. So even though the use from an external source didn't work, it knows it doesn't work and just replaces that with the actual paths and stuff and makes it work even in IE anything, which is pretty nice. And then you can, st- then you can reference a style sheet and style all the stuff inside it like once. You know, like, like, and if you look at Parker's stack of comms, it, do- it looks like the kind of thing that they're styled the way that they're styled. You know, there's an Amazon logo with the little, or, you know, the A is black and the little smile arrow below it is that yellow color or the Flickr logo with the two circles on it. One's blue and one's magenta, you know, that's just mm-hmm. the way that they're styled. There's also, and I feel like, I wonder if there's a use case for this is you can ref, you can make an iframe and I know this sounds weird, but you can just say iframe and the source of the iframe is the SVG. So that's just a way to reference an SVG file and make it display like an inline SVG. But in that iframe, you could link up a CSS style sheet, which would be cached even if you did it multiple times, you know. So that's kind of a way to go. It just feels weird because iframe people shy away from and they're generally considered to be slow, you know. So, But that's kind of a possibility. I mean, you can give an iframe a width and a height and give it an SVG source and it will render in there. Mm. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's a brave new world, SVG. All right, let us know what you decided on doing, Parker. Appreciate it. All right. Do you want to? Do Should we do a sponsor? Yeah. Let's do. I will. Let's do Front End Summit. So this is a brand new one that we haven't talked about before. I guess except for we're recording these out of order, so you might have heard it last week. Hey. We're talking about uh, environments for humans. Front End Summit. Go to frontendsummit.com. It'll redirect to where you need to go. It is coming up this August twenty first. It is one of their um, online summits, so it's kind of a um, it's a one day thing. You buy a ticket for, and you can attend it from anywhere in the world because it's online, you know. And submit your questions. You you literally listen to the speakers talk live, but then you're in a chat room and you can hang out and chat with everybody. Um, there's things like let's see, John David Dalton is talking about fearless browser test automation, and he's the uh, the, the dude from Lodash, who's like the uh, you know competitor to underscore um, performance wise, like Lodash is you know can do all this cool stuff just like underscore, but it's faster, and he takes that stuff really seriously and um, uh, does testing to find out that those things really are faster, and so he's going to be talking about how to do that in multiple browsers and stuff, which should be pretty dang interesting, I think. Ben Allman is going to be there um, talking about the state of Grunt, which is interesting, you know. Uh, Ben is the creator of Grunt, so he'll be talking about where Grunt's going to go. And it's it's interesting because Grunt is under more competition than it's ever been under before. So what's what's Grunt going to do? I don't know. Come to the conference, find out. Yeah. That should be good. Be darn sweet. And they're fairly inexpensive, too. It's a one-day conference. It's only $179, so... Oh, it should be choice. pretty darn sweet. All right. Speaking of getting better front end, Rich Finelli writes in, I have a jQuery question for you. What is the difference between the following? Dollar dot button, or what, you, know, you guys get it. So dollar selector button dot click function do stuff and dollar button dot on click in in on parenthesis click in quotations comma function do stuff so the difference between the on function, function and, the and the click, click function function 
Uh, is there one of these that is better than the other? I think uh, with the second one, I can add multiple events aside from click, uh, like hover, change, etc., which can be useful. Which one do you guys prefer and use, and are there any advantages, disadvantages to using one over the other? Chris? I think the way you're using it there, Rich, they are identical. Because click is going to, I, and I correct me, am I already wrong? I think there's there's uh, more to say here, no, but I just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think they are though, because dot click is just is a reference to basically dot bind click. You're just binding a click directly to the button. But I think dot on is also deferring to just dot binding click there, because what because you're selecting the same element in both cases. Mm-hmm. The 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 difference is because they're identical. You should probably get more used to just using the on function, the on the on or method or whatever you want yeah. to call it. I don't even know what the correct word is. I think it's either or, um, because it's like this. That's what I think. That's what jQuery wants you to use. The deal with on is that it always binds to the correct way of 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 handling events. Um, so just get used to using on, and I think it will like open up your mind a little bit more because on takes like there's a number of additional parameters that can take. So you're binding you're binding a click event right to a button. Well, have you considered binding a click event to the parent element of that button and then scoping it just to that button? So you'd you'd go like dot parent dot on click dot button. And that's interesting too, because then it's you're not you're not having to to look through the DOM for everything that's a button. You might be you might be able to limit the selector and only find the parent element, and then you're still binding it to the correct element. That's called event delegation, and it's all it's useful in the in in that uh, let's say another button was added to that same parent element, uh, you don't have to rebind it again because the the parent was already there. So it's pretty nice, and a lot of times people use event delegation all the way up to the document itself. So you might be go, you might go dollar sign document on click, and then scope it to dot button. That way, if you added a dot button anywhere else on the entire page, that click handler is still going to work, uh, which is increasingly important in in today's world. And that's only possible through the on method and not the click method. So I understand click just like looks and looks nice and clean and stuff but it's actually like a little bit less efficient generally than using some some delegation stuff Mm -hmm. yeah i was just gonna say that's like that's the major advantage of on is that if you added a button later like onto the page using javascript or you know uh maybe you do it after some ajax call or some modal or something like it will still have that event attached to yeah. like it'll auto only if you only if you but not the way he has it written here yeah the way he has it written here is dot button on click and that's going to find all the buttons and bind that click handler and if you add a new one it's not going to help you you're going to need to bind that on to somewhere higher up the old dom tree and, in order to get that to work another thing you can do and if you want an example of this uh it's in fit text um but uh, you can you get access to the off uh, property as well, which is like unbind. Basically, like you just you just strip off the the click handler from it. You know, I don't know. You want to do something? You're just like, oh, now strip that off or something. Um, yeah. On fit text, we have 
we do that and then we have a custom namespace so it's like resize.fittext so then like at some point you could say off resize.fittext and like kill fittext uh, across the board uh whenever you want i don't know after something happens um maybe after the page loads you're just like i don't want to even do fit text after i just i just want to do it once you could just like kill it and and remove it um so that's an option uh that's kind of a cool thing too is you can kind of get into your like own namespace events um which which is pretty sweet cuz i don't know uh, you know you can't if you want take off all of resize like you could break a lot of stuff you know or that's using resize but if you're doing like you just want to kill one plugin's resize stuff. That's the uh, easiest way to do it. You're talking about namespaced. Yeah, events? namespaced events. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, true. Right, and you couldn't use a namespaced event if you use dot click because it's just dot click. You can't. You don't have the opportunity to add a namespace there. Rich, the idea here is just use on all the time all because the time. it's just. It's just it's just, it will do the right thing for you, and it opens up opportunities. It always binds to the right place. It's just as fast. I feel like it'll get like as a general rule of thumb, just use on and off for everything. All right, Bam. Next question, Phil Payton. I'm curious what your thoughts are for terminology changes across an entire project. To give you some background, I work for a company that has created web-based software. We come across stages in our development that we want to change the terminology or functionality in our site. The lazy way is to fix this is to just change the displayed text to the new terminology. But that still leaves a uh, references to action B in the CSS JavaScript server-side code. Going through this much code and replacing every instance of... Uh, the old terminology the old term- would be tiresome. Thanks, Chris. Go ahead. How would you guys go about this? Would you just deal with it dot gif or <laughs> uh or or only change the display text or would you change every instance of the old terminology? Would you adopt some sort of abstract naming convention that wouldn't matter what the text slash code is named so that's feels like a pretty abstract question, but let's try to attach it to something I'm just going to use my own experience because that's what human beings do on code pen you can heart something, right? And I like that word for it. I just prefer it. I don't know. It just sounds fun and cool to me. Like, heart a pen. It just, it works as a verb and a noun, kind of. Um, so, like, like we, I try to be very consistent about that throughout our UI and throughout our um, documentation and stuff. Be like, here's a list of your hearted pens or whatever. But I'm not Unfortunately, I'm not very consistent about it because a lot of times, it, like people, like intuitively think of it as loved because it is a heart. So I think we accidentally use loved sometimes here, and then that's only what people can see and what's exposed through the UI. There's another places that that manifests itself, and one of them is in like front end code. Like, what do I call the element and the class names and stuff? Um, are they are they hearted? You know, there's different levels of hearted. Are the class names hearted one, hearted two, hearted three? Are they loved one, loved loved two? What if we decide to change that at some point in time and we go with a starring mechanism? Do we leave the class names that say loved or heart or do we change it to starred? 
and what and and then do you change your controllers? Do you change your Ajax routes? Do you change everything to be star instead of heart or love or do you leave it alone? That's the thing like I think that's what Phil is asking about here is like you're trying to change something as fundamental like that and it's like it's one thing to the most important place you can change it is visually so that your user thinks it's all true but it's you know it's also important to make sure that your developers are on board and 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 you're on board as a front end developer keeping all that stuff consistent too. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or did yeah, I think no, I- no, I think you're exactly there. Uh the thing I'm dealing with uh on a current project is uh the this company has a, a collection of stores, you know, in their database, like like retailers and stuff like that. And uh but uh they the way they stored it in the database was sites as like a you know a, a their website URL or whatever so uh but when you're talking about them they're stores not sites right that makes it's it's a little different right um like so all the visual language says stores but when you get to the database it's like ask for the site.id or whatever you know so it's interesting i'm just kind of like uh <laughs> i i'm in this problem here but what i'm doing is i'm making all my html css and javascript file naming uh store and then the then anytime it touches the database like javascript or whatever that's using site so it's kind of like it's mixed metaphors there but um i don't know i I sort of feel like if you're going to I don't know. It, like, go as far down the rabbit hole as you can until it it gets really, really hard to do. Um, I've done yeah, things, easy wins first. It, yeah, and if like, so I've been done projects, you know, like where I made a post table in a in a custom CMS, right, like Rails or something like that, and then they're like, oh, we want to call it news or bulletin or you know or <laughs> newsletter, you know, and you're just like, oh god, I'm gonna have to change like my controller like file and. Uh, but that's where like routes come in, right? Like that's the easiest. You just do a named route to something like posts will still work, but um, you know, it, right. it like now you have like newsletter goes to the blog, you know, um, I would just do that in some occasions too. Cause that might just be the easiest for thing the most to do. part. Right. I mean, I think the most comprehensive solution is to not give up and just go all the way down, but that just can be impractical is what you're saying. Right. But I, I feel yeah. like it, it can, you know, your code can start to look and feel sloppy if you don't make those changes sometimes. Yeah. You don't occasionally do some cleaning house. Yeah. And then I don't know, you know, like find maybe abstractions too. like, maybe you call it, you know, like if marketing or something like is like, what if, what if instead of posts we call it blasts because we want blasts? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we want blast it. You know, we're calling them blasts now. Um, whatever you do, don't change uh, the the post table to blasts in your database, right? Like, like figure out something. Uh, you know that that is just really vanilla in, in like that every developer will be like, yes, I get it. You know, maybe it's messages or, but posts would still work, you know, but then have you considered calling your database tables data? Oh, 
Love just call it. them data one, data two, data three. Then you never need to change. It. Yeah, then you just have a little uh, uh, an Excel spreadsheet that tells you what's in each table. <laughs> 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 well, we've just a lot made easier it. to change. Yep. Excellent. I feel, I feel pretty good about that one. Uh, hopefully, we answered your question, Phil. Uh, but yeah, I just try to do whatever you can until it just you you like encounter the rat king and and it's too difficult so all right next let's, let's and this is a good one to end with here from danilo vega uh hi guys I have a question regarding performance on mobile is it better to a have all content on the page load and then show hide it b inject markup and content dynamically as needed or C, load that markup and contact using Ajax, um, depending on the situation. So secondary content can be shown on it. So it's kind of a, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out the difference between B and C. I, I, maybe we could say A is just like, like let's say you have some mobile components. I, you know, this is, feels gross to say or whatever, but like you have some stuff that's meant for small screens and you have some stuff that's meant for big screens. We've talked about this before. Like maybe there's just no reconcilable way to make them responsive. You have to have, you need totally different HTML, CSS, JavaScript to make it work, mm-hmm. which is weird. Like a lot of times, a component can be responsive, and you can you can make it happen. But let's say you have to, it, that it was unreconcilable this time, and you did two different chunks. Do you load both of those chunks and then just like display none, display block stuff? To hide and show, depending on the situation that you're in with the media query, that's A. Mm-hmm. Or B, do you like do some kind of detection and just only put the right things on the page as the page loads, mm-hmm. so you only have one copy of them? Or C, do you like Ajax the stuff in as needed? So I guess B would be like a server side kind of thing where it figures out what it needs, and then C would be like a client side kind of thing where it figures out what it needs and then pulls that stuff in. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the ultimate question, isn't it? Like, there's no, is there, you, can you just pick A, B, or C? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, it totally depends on situation. Um, you know, uh, uh, Jeremy Keith had this article on 24 Ways a couple years ago, a few years ago now, uh, conditional loading, you know, like where you only load, like you Ajax and ask for a list of posts or something, um, like, only if the browser is big enough. So basically, mobile does not get that content. They have they have a link to get to it, but they just don't get the like sidebar list of links kind of thing. Um, and I think that's a pretty good solution. Um, one thing is specifically with mobile is uh, like you can do like you can do the show hide, uh, but I guess to address the other stuff, like if you're using Ajax to get the the content um with mobile you probably need to assume what like i would just assume that that second connection never happens or it's going to be an infinite spinner you know like and if that ruins the website or whatever then maybe that's a problem so that that's been kind of my like like it, it has to be super non-crucial to if if you can't load it on in the HTML, that's kind of my kind of rough opinion. That's a great, 
that's a great opinion. I like that. That that like it's tempting to use the Ajax method because you're like, I'm being so responsible, guys. I'm not loading it on the first page load because I'm trying to make a determination about the you know the capabilities of the browser that I'm in before I decide and I'm not user agent sniffing it. I'm doing it from the client. So it feels like you're being really responsible, but you might might not be because what you are doing is assuming that JavaScript is working and and like having additional page requests happen later. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like there's a, there's some additional assumptions that you're making there, and it might yeah. be just and, better and, to ship it down in the HTML. Yeah, in regards to mobile performance, like the HTTP request, like the the number of requests for files you make is the most significant factor like that's that's what it takes it takes 400 milliseconds half a second basically to hit these cell phone tower with the radio signal so like like you can load the page and then you're like okay load the javascript now you're at like one second to a page load and then it's going to be another one second before that content comes in so you need to kind of think like that too like and that's the stuff that burns batteries. That's the stuff that, you know, is slow. And if it comes in and it's a big chunk, you know, does it have to do a whole big repaint? You know, does your user lo- lose scrolling position? Um, kind of, yeah, it's, it, you just kind of got to figure out what's, what your, I don't know, what, <laughs> maybe you have to do it both ways and see how good or bad it is. You know, um, I would, I would fire up your, uh, site in webpagetest.org using like whatever a mobile a 3G connection and and test it like that and just get a uh, the page speed index that's kind of the new thing right that you have to kind of search for so uh, or monitor that's kind of when your site is usable the first paint in which it's usable so um, but I don't know I I would I always steer clear of the ajaxing in um, just because it's a lot of action, I don't know. I, I'm. I feel like that's an optimization I can make after the fact. Um, it, once my once my like homepage content or content has kind of leveled out. So yeah. Um, you know things. Think third party. I'm still interested in that world of having the Ajax call be the be essentially your first page, like do, load this super, super minimal page, do your client-side tests, and then have the, that first Ajax payload be like everything else. Mm-hmm. I know that's like an obscure concept, but and it's like has the same problems, I guess. But I'm kind of like interested in that world. I've never been able to make that work, and I kind of want to do it someday. Yeah. No, I know. It's abstract. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> well, I, I keep thinking about like third-party scripts and stuff do a pretty good job at this like discus won't load until after you know it's ready and stuff like that because in theory your comments are not necessary but they kind of are um ads like load in that's basically what you're doing is you're like creating an ad but instead of an ad it's website content so anyway all right cool chris i think we're done for today uh thanks everyone for listening to another (laughs) rapid fire episode we really appreciate it uh i will come back next week and be super tan and you'll 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 feel it in my voice mega jelly 
Uh, and uh, thanks everyone for subscribing, uh, following us on Twitter, voting up in iTunes, doing all that. We really appreciate it. And keep sending in your bring back the nerd questions. We really need them. Uh, and is there anything else, Chris? Am I forgetting anything? Chopdogshow.com. <laughs>